Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I got to turn my mic on. I'm talking, I can't hear myself. It's because my microphone wasn't on. Off and running. Strong start on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky, the idiot behind the microphone right now. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you and... One of the idiots. One of the uh, idiots. Yeah. There's well, three of us. short. Yeah. That rain is back, by the way. I mean, I thought Shocker. we were done with this. I thought that the sheer amount of water that was dumped on this state in a week would be enough like for the entire year of 2020, and as I look outside, it's pouring down rain again. So if you're like me and have drainage issues in your yard, um, my thoughts are with you, my friend, because I know what you have been dealing with, and uh, kind of the mood for the day, you know, raining outside, a little bit dreary, and as we talked about uh, a few times yesterday, was the story of the day, the sports event in Mississippi that was extremely impactful, and uh, we'll start right here, just lead the show with it, uh, no need to waste any time. Mississippi State had a crucial, critical, whatever you want to call it, any adjective you can come up with, game last night in Columbia, South Carolina, got off to an extremely slow start, fought back down by two at the half and then just could not seal the deal feels like this is the real bubble bursting for this team it's got to be it right what what, i can't see a way forward now unless they win the uh the sec tournament which seems very unlikely at this time um you know it's not this one loss cost them it's obviously you know the the pattern of the season you know they have 11 losses there's a lot. Of, there's there's bad losses on there. They have four losses to teams that are 90 or below in the net. Uh, the two road losses at Ole Miss and in, and at Texas A&M in SEC play. Those are bad losses for Mississippi State, and they put State in a position where they could not afford to lose this game last night, but they did. And now I feel like it's it's nit time for uh, for the Bulldogs. Reggie Perry had 17 points and 16 boards. Was five of 13 shooting. In the game, though, and uh, Carter, Tyson Carter had the second, uh, not the second, the best scoring output on the team last night in just his 23 minutes, 24 points on 7 of 10 shooting, 4 of 5 from 3, and um, you got to watch more of the game than I did. Why only 23 minutes for a guy that was scoring like that? Foul trouble. Had a, Just that simple? Foul. It, it, same with, with Perry as well. Perry, They both had foul trouble, both finished the game with four fouls. Um, just, just got into foul trouble early in the game, but state played. That's when state sort of mounted its comeback though, was, uh, you know, with Perry on the bench there in, in the first half. So I, I think honestly, if you told me yesterday, if we were doing the show that Carter was going to get 24 and Perry got 17, I said, well, state won this game easily, 
but that's not the case. They, they allowed South Carolina to shoot the ball well. Coates are uh, going out in style, 20 points for him, um, and he's just been a bulldog killer. It's I, I found it sort of fascinating. It's, it's, it's a tremendous coincidence, but two of the the people that have beaten up Mississippi State the worst, Mike Coatesar and Brian Tyree, that's how State gets to finish up its season uh, with those two guys who have just killed them through the years. Um, State just played poor defensively, uh, didn't play well enough offensively, turned the ball over too many times, and, and just – just didn't seem to have the the fire that you would think they would bring to what what we all knew was a, basically an elimination game for them. Uh, Weatherspoon had more turnovers than shots made in the game. Three of eleven from the field, just nine points, and four turnovers. Didn't get anything from DJ Stewart, as it had just mentioned. One of seven shooting for him, just two points. Uh, so outside of Carter and Perry, just didn't get a whole lot of help offensively. And then when you pair that with, as you called him, the bulldog killer. I mean, just not a recipe uh, for a successful night. No, not at all. And, you know, give South Carolina a lot of credit. They played, you know, for a team that I know people are still talking about they could do this, that, or the other, but they're not getting into the NCAA tournament. So for them to play with a lot of passion uh, speaks a lot for them. You know, they had pretty balanced effort. Bryant lost in 12 points each. They had one, two, three other guys with eight points. And Coates are you know, on a volume shooting night for him. Normally he's a pretty high percentage shooter. Nine of 22, but he got the 20 points. Um, just They just controlled the game. Shot the ball well from behind the arc. Five of 11 shooting. I want to say at one point they were four of five. So State did a little bit better there. But that was during that run that pushed the lead out to 18 in the first half. Um, and when you, you know, when you, when you trail by uh by 18 points in a game, it's it's usually a pretty good uh, indicator you're not going to win, and that's exactly what happened to Mississippi State. Real quick sidebar: so on the way home from the studio last night, my wife asked me to stop and pick up uh, a pizza for us. So I went to I'm not going to call out the establishment itself, but went to a local nearby establishment on the way home to my house. Uh, that is, it's a pizza place. They also serve beer. So like you presumably would go watch a game there, right? They had multiple TVs in the place. Mississippi State is playing a basketball game, and the only thing you could see was, what was it, Michigan State and Penn State last night? That's right. Uh, So that was the game that was on, and I asked because the order, they had a a birthday party there last night, so our order was backed up. I had to sit there for about 25 minutes or so, and I asked them to change it to the Mississippi State game, and they didn't know how to do it. Like, if you're going to serve beer and pizza and have – games on in Mississippi and don't even know how to get me to the Mississippi State game? What are you doing? Nobody wants to watch Mississippi State basketball. <laughs> Nobody comes to the hump. Nobody wants to watch it at, at bars and restaurants. Just bad times for the Bulldogs on the court so as far as the men go. What is the fan base reaction last night? Uh, you're a lot more locked in on on the feeling around town beyond just living there. You're just locked into it. What was the reaction last night and then to the season as a whole to this point? Obviously disappointing. This is the first year under Hallen where you could say they took a step back. You know, they've gotten better each year under Ben Hallen. They finally broke through to go to the NCAA. You hoped that he could be, would be able to do it again, especially when you look at the, ta- the front-line talent this team has. Um, but that said, you know, there's a lot of disappointment. There's some. There are some people who are angry enough to they say that maybe state should consider making a change. That's not going to happen. Ben Howland will definitely be the head coach of. Uh, you know, of course, I say those things. I said those things about Joe Moorhead too. Well, yeah. See how that turns out. But it's a much different situation, obviously. Uh, but I, you know, but that same by that same token, though, there's a there's still a lot of apathy 
there's a still a lot of you know this is why we don't buy in this is why nobody comes to games things things of that nature so you know this weekend obviously senior night and, it's, and you're playing Ole Miss so it should be a pretty decent crowd maybe one of the better ones you've had at the hump this year but you will go into the 2020 2021 with the exact same situation with Mississippi State basketball when that is fan support it, it, it's just it's fourth it's fourth at Mississippi State it's behind football baseball women's basketball it, it, it just, it's just where it is now. How critical is next season then? Because, I mean, we're operating under the assumption that they're not going to make the tournament. Look, crazier things have happened. I mean, they, you know, they, they could find their way in, but the odds are strongly stacked against them. Like, they have to make it to Sunday in Nashville, probably at a minimum, to, to yeah. actually give themselves a puncher's chance. So we're just going to operate under the assumption that they're not going to make it just for the sake of conversation right now. How critical mm-hmm. is next season then? What has to happen and how has this incoming recruiting class looked? Because to tell you the truth, hey, Dad, I'm not locked in on basketball recruiting. Like you could tell me they signed 100 guys and I would believe you. Uh, college basketball recruiting is not my thing. So are they bringing in the kind of talent that they have the last four or five years and how critical is next season? I mean, I think if you have a season like you had this season, Ben Hallen's still not going to go anywhere. You know, as long basically this the program is sort of where it is towards the end of the Rick Stansberry tenure, which is it was just a consistent bubble team basically every year. Yeah, the the six out of eight the years that he made it. Uh, I mean, that, that's sort of a very high water mark that I don't know that Mississippi State can get back to, to be totally honest with you. From a recruiting standpoint, you are bringing in Devion Smith, who's a top 50 player nationally, four-star uh, player, who's a true point guard. Next year, you should be able, with Molinar and him, to have actual point guards running the point. That'll allow Nick Weatherspoon to slide into his more natural position at the two. Um, they expect Woodard back as well. So, I mean, uh, Perry will probably go, but you still got a, a pretty good lineup there. And then you've got a, a grad transfer, Galen uh, Smith, they call him Tolu. I don't ask me why. That's just his nickname. Tolu. Uh, but he transferred it. Tolu. T O L U. All right. So you have Tolu, and then for football, you'll have Tolu Griffin. So hopefully that won't get confusing. Uh, but he's a transfer from Western Kentucky that the coaching staff is very, very high on. Who'll he'll, he'll fill that role at the four next year? You know, six nine, six ten, power forward. You know, look at the starting lineup for next year. Probably a smaller lineup, to be totally honest. Uh, with uh, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do with Weatherspoon and DJ Stewart. But, I mean, to me, the best starting lineup would be Molinar, Weatherspoon, Stewart, uh, Woodard, and Adu. That's a smaller lineup, but you got you got some playmakers out there. I think there's going to be sort of where they are this year and next year. They'll be on the bubble again. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. Especially when the weather is like it is right now. Be a part of the show but do so safely. Do not text and drive. Barton Columbus says both Witherspoons have never been great. All hype, never lived up to it. Whole season, uh, whole team is hype. I feel like the first Witherspoon lived up to yeah. the billing. Q didn't even have any hype. He was behind Malik Newman. So, yeah, he was an all-SEC player and got drafted. He lived up to his hype big time. A few more of your texts coming in. We'll also hear from Brian Scott Rippey after the break. Don't go anywhere at Sports Talk Mississippi. delight in the mood a little bit on this Wednesday afternoon in Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haddad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Bruce texted in and says, as a state grad and fan, 
I feel like Hallen's teams at State have always underperformed. I also feel like part of that is due to players just not playing to their potential, and I'm not sure why. Don't know if they don't like their style or what. That's Bruce, and Bruce, thank you uh, for being a part of the show today. Hey, Dad, what do you think about that? I think it's a, a, a mix of, you know, we look at recruiting rankings and you, you see, I mean, look at State's starting lineup, right? Uh, Weatherspoon, four-star. I think he was a five-star on one uh, one service. Carter was a four-star. Stewart was a high three-star. Perry was a four-star, maybe a five-star on some services. Woodard was a four-star. Adu was a four-star. You just say that, right? If you don't know anything else, you think, well, that team should be easily be in the NCAA tournament, but they're not. So I get that, especially when you look at some of the uh, – you know, guys like Malik Newman and Mario Kegler, everybody in the country would have taken those guys. They Without were all highly doubt. rated guys. It just didn't pan out for whatever reason. And so, you know, he's had some recruiting misses here and there, and then the guys he has had hasn't haven't lived up to their the recruiting hype as much. They're good players. Perry's a really good player. But is he a, a surefire NBA guy? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. Definitely not a first-rounder. I mean, somebody in the second round will take a shot on him, maybe. Um, But he's definitely getting a G League or uh, Summer League invite somewhere. The aforementioned Malik Newman got that. Yeah, for sure. I think think Perry will be taken in the second round. He can be a a solid role player, physical guy, can get rebounds, can score on the low block, has enough mid-range game, and, and, and can shoot the three well enough at that position to give you some value in today's NBA. Um, and to your point, it's evident that the production has not matched the talent. Or let me flip that. The talent has not produced to the level that you would expect them to. And, and that's hard to argue. Right. Yeah, there, there's, there's no arguing it whatsoever. That the team, This team is underachieved. There's just no way around that. This team has underachieved. They should have been an NCAA tournament team. They've lost at least four games to teams that, that they are more talented than and are better than, and I include Ole Miss in that. And they have those two uh, buzzer-beater games that went against them. So, you know, that's that's a, that's a four to six extra wins. I mean, this team is 19-11. If they were 23-9 and nine, or 23-7, and uh, seven, we're not having this discussion today. Funny text here. The only way to watch Mississippi sports is with beer to get through it. <laughs> Man, I tried. I tried. A local establishment uh, would not let me at all. Jacob from Columbus says uh, he met Rick Stansberry once when he was uh, the shooting coach at Mississippi State. It was at the YMCA's camp, and he played a game of horse with him, and he did okay until Stan started draining NBA threes on him. I believe it's Stans versus Snacks. Who wins? (laughs) I don't know, man. Snacks has got killer range. Question for Haydad. From the 662, was Stansberry just a better coach, had more talent? Uh, what was the difference between him and uh, Ben Hallen? I mean, the league was just different back then. You know, nobody gave a care about basketball besides Kentucky and Tennessee, Florida. You know, nobody back when they had the West was really into basketball. The league was just a little different. But Stansberry was a fantastic recruiter too. He he got a lot of four- and five-star talents to Starkville that you wouldn't ever get. And you always think about the guys that he missed out on. You know, he got Jonathan Bender and, and uh, Monte Ellis and, and those guys. Uh, there's another one who I'm, I'm missing that he had a chance with. There's another guy who went straight to the NBA. And, and, and Howland is getting those guys, but it's just, it's just you know, that. And there's just a lot more parity in college basketball these days. So when Stansbury would lose non-conference games, those, those tended to be bad losses. 
you know, there's been some losses for the past few years. That I mean, you see it. There's just mid-majors are able to beat Power 5 teams all the time. So you get another text here that says the SEC schedule is brutal. No easy games on the road. And, and so that that's an interesting point because, for example, if last night happened in a vacuum, there's nothing wrong with losing at South Carolina with the, the way that they are. I mean, they're a, a fringe bubble team probably, but – their net, especially on the road, they'd be a quadrant one road win. So losing that game in a vacuum by itself, no big deal. We would not be having this conversation today if they were otherwise to expectation and just lost this game. It's that they lost this game with everything on the line compounded with, as Haydad mentioned, a handful of other games that are inexcusable losses, at least to the volume that you have right now. Right. I mean, like you said, it's it's tough to win on the road. So winning at Ole Miss, winning at Texas A&M, those aren't things you take for granted, but you should win those games. That's just the, the way that it is. And you didn't win them. You lost at home to Louisiana Tech. You lost a neutral site game, but it was played in Jackson to New Mexico State. Those four losses are just killing you right this second. If you, if those were wins, and or even if you were 2-2 two and two in those games, if State was, what, 21-9, and nine, they're, oh, they're probably in. The tournament. in. They're probably in. So, you know, you just you lost too many games that you had no business losing, and that's why you're here today. Elsewhere in hoops last night in the SEC, Vanderbilt found a way to beat Alabama at Alabama. That just doesn't make any sense, but it happened. And Tennessee, down by 11 at the half, and they turn around and beat Kentucky by 8 in Rupp. They're down as many as 17. Also, yeah. that probably crushes Alabama's tournament hopes. Yes. They are NIT bound at best, especially at 16, 14, 8, and 9. Have you seen this tweet going around today about the NIT? The Joe Biden thing? I'm going to play that coming up. Hilarious. The t- it's, it's incredible <laughs> how that panned out. Hoops tonight in the SEC. LSU's at Arkansas. Florida, Georgia is going on as well. Texas A&M, Auburn, and then Missouri at Ole Miss. And this will be the poll question. Haven't put it up yet, but I will in a second. Uh, Rippy, Missouri at Ole Miss, uh, not really a game of consequence because, as we've talked about multiple times, um, no real shot at a postseason anything for this Ole Miss team. They've just simply lost too many games, especially ones that they had a chance to win, couldn't seal the deal. So uh, we'll go back to the vacuum. In a vacuum, this game doesn't really mean a whole lot. But a question for you, and this will be the poll question, when you look at recent history at Ole Miss – You've had a series of really, really, really good guards going back to Chris Warren. Then you had Jarvis Summers. Then you had, you know, throw Marshall Henderson in there and Stephon Moody and DeAndre Burnett, even though he's probably the worst of the group, still was like a 20 point a night guy. You lost Terrence Davis from a year ago, really good guard. And now you have Brian Tyree, who's been just exceptional with himself being the only scoring option at that on that team at times playing his final game at home at Ole Miss. So when you look at the history of really good guards that they've had, even on bad teams, where do you think he stacks up among them, and how should his legacy at Ole Miss be looked at as he's the lone senior on senior night tonight? I don't know. He's probably in the top half. Uh, Stephon Moody, I thought, was always pretty underappreciated. A healthy Jarvis Summers was probably in this category as well. Chris Warren probably up there among the best scorers. I mean, as far as like ranking them, I, off the top of my head, I probably couldn't do that. But he's 
right up there, second or third. You know, scores at all three levels is a really good shooter in the move from off, off on the ball to off the ball. Uh, when Kermit Davis came in and made him a two guard, really just kind of transformed his career. But he, he's definitely up there. He is a a really really good offensive player. Do you have any thoughts about the game itself tonight? I know I just kind of downplayed it significantly, but they will still play basketball tonight. Do you have any thoughts about the actual game? No, it's Bree and Tyree's senior night, and that's really about the only storyline you got. Yeah, fair, uh, fair enough. So uh, text us, 601-879-4395, about um, what should he his legacy be? How should he be remembered at Ole Miss being the next guard in line? We talked about NBA potential with uh, Reggie Perry and others on that Mississippi State team. Do you think he gets a shot? What kind of next-level potential does he potentially have? I say potential a lot, apparently. I really potential. have no idea. I mean, he can score well. I don't know what how st- scouts view him on the defensive end. You know, Slightly undersized for an NBA guard, but not a huge deal. But he'll probably get a shot. It wouldn't shock me if he got into a training camp. But, uh, I mean, worst-case scenario, he'll be a really good player overseas. But he's going to be a good professional basketball player wherever he ends up. Yeah, it seems you like the, think. Go ahead. I would just I would say you, you would just think a guy who shoots the ball as well as he does and can create his own shot can get to the rim. There's got to be a place for him in the NBA these days. I have seen much worse players get called up on yeah. 10-day contracts all the time. No question, no question about that. That uh, that does happen. Michael in Popularville says, speaking of basketball, how about a shout out for Pearl River Community College, uh, the men's team for going undefeated 25 and 0 state championship and Ranked number two in the JUCO rankings. And this text comes up all the time. I'm going to be nice. From the 662, there's no defense in the NBA, so he should fit in perfect. My friend, that is something that a lot of people say, and every time it gets said, the dumber it sounds. You're just wrong. It's just not true. The scorers are just so much better than there are in college that it looks like you're not playing defense when you give up points. But man, sometimes you can play perfect defense on a guy like LeBron James and he'll still hit a step back 25-footer on you and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just different. Speaking of basketball, Memphis in trouble. Details next. Today was probably not the best day for me to say that the idea of no defense in the NBA is a stupid one after what New Orleans did last night. Ugh. Kyle, thank you for reminding me of that on Twitter yesterday. Boy, they decided that they didn't want to rotate. They didn't want to defend the pick and roll. They just kind of thought that they were going to beat Minnesota by just hanging out and casually like putting their hands up to play defense. It was an embarrassing effort, and in a must-win game, they had no energy and didn't play any defense. Aside from that, there is a lot of defense, and very good defense played in the NBA. The scorers are just significantly better than what you see in college, so it kind of dilutes the point. But Kyle reminded me of that embarrassment last night at Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Before I get into this Memphis story, Um, It was a mistake on my part to not mention that the uh, SEC Women's Basketball Tournament, I think, began today. It's in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, So, hey, Dad, what is the schedule for Mississippi State? I saw somebody on Twitter last night say their path to 
seeing Don Staley in the championship game is one that they should be able to navigate? Yeah, it should be. The start tournament did start today. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Auburn beat uh, Vanderbilt. Missouri beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss's uh, season uh, has come to an end. Did not win a, a conference game. Uh, tough, tough for Coach Yo there. Um, State plays on Friday. They will play the winner of uh, Florida versus LSU. State handled Florida very easily earlier in the season, uh, and then they uh, they have won a close one with LSU. Both of those games were in Starkville. If they win that game, they will likely take on the winner of Tennessee versus Kentucky. It could be Missouri should they upset Tennessee uh, tomorrow, but that's likely to be Kentucky-Tennessee. Uh, Kentucky, of course, beat Mississippi State a few weeks ago uh, in Lexington, so that could be a, a, t- a tough game. But like I said, they, they they wouldn't have to see South Carolina, obviously, who's the one seed on the opposite side of the bracket, until they got to Sunday. So if State makes it to Sunday, have a good chance of upping themselves up, a, going up a seed line, maybe being a, a two seed. If they win the thing, they will definitely be a, a two seed. Uh, I think if you're Mississippi State, your your goal in life is to be in a bracket that South Carolina or Oregon is not in. Those are bad matchups for Mississippi State. Uh, Beyond that, though, I mean, this team has already it had chances to, to beat both of them, right? I didn't play Oregon this year. Uh, played Stanford earlier this year, okay, and, and lost right. that game. But who Stanford's Stanford's a very good team. They're a top ten team, and they lost that game, I think, by three, uh, and lost to South Carolina on the road by two. But you know, South Carolina's the number one team in the nation. They they went undefeated in conference play. If you you'd like to play those two teams in the final four if you could get there. Um, but like I said, this team is is sort of overachieved to a certain degree anyway, and they've evolved. Uh, they, they've sort of become a little bit more of an offensive team these past couple of weeks. The emergence of freshman Aliyah Matharu has been a, a something giving them something they didn't have, which was three-point shooting. Uh, they need that. So we'll see what happens in the SEC tournament. Like I said, State takes on uh, the winner of Florida LSU on Friday. What is the hosting threshold? Like, like what seed still gets to host home games? One through four. State's, okay, good. State, State will host it. There will be NCAA tournament basketball in Starkville uh, this year. 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line. You want to be a part of the show, you can do it that way. Here's the story from Pat Forty at Sports Illustrated. Dropped uh, just a few hours ago. Uh, and I'm going to read from it just a little bit so I don't miss anything. The investigation into Memphis's uh, James Wiseman Rebellion is what Pat Forty's going to call it, is happening. So the NCAA is investigating Memphis. And it's happening in a new way because they retool their investigation practices All the time. Uh, Memphis, according to this story, is going to be the first of the NCAA's newly crafted, quote, off-ramp, according to Pat Forty, into the realm of independent parties as investigators, advocates, judge, and jury. This is something that we've talked about on this show a little bit before, but basically the NCAA is having, air quotes, outside parties do their investigating for them. They announced the case on Wednesday, which as you know, is unique because they used to never tell anybody ever when they're investigating anybody, they would only leak details to friendly reporters. But now they're just straight up announcing that investigations are going on. It's called the Independent Accountability Resolution Process. Um, This stems from the Condoleezza Rice-led coalition to clean up college basketball. So this is what they're going to do now. They're going to publicly announce... Who was under investigation? They're going to use third parties to handle the investigation and the ruling and everything. And the most important part about this is the ruling is final. There's been an extensive appeal process. Ole Miss actually won in some part 
their appeal and reduced some of their penalties from the NCAA. That process no longer exists starting basically right now. So Memphis, James Wiseman, whatever penalty they get from the NCAA now, nothing they can do about it. There's no appeal. There's no nothing. Whatever they get is what they get. So right now, we know that Memphis is under NCAA investigation, which is not a surprise. We know that this is the first go at their newly formed investigative practices. So, you know, just connecting the dots here, they're going to try to make a statement. That's my guess. And whatever the ruling is, is final. They can do nothing about whatever they get. This, to me, sounds like big trouble for Memphis. What do you guys think? I think you're you're accurate in your assessment. Uh, I don't see how... I just don't see how what they did was a good... We said it wasn't a good idea at the time, and it we were right. And anybody with any common sense knew it was going to come to this. Um, you know, we talk on the show a lot about, you know, don't ever cooperate with the NCAA, and that's fine. You probably, you know, shouldn't overly cooperate with them. But thumbing your nose at them and telling them to, you know, GTHO, uh, probably not the best idea either. There's got to be a fine middle ground. Memphis didn't find it, and now they're going to get hammered. Yeah, they didn't handle this the right way, and they're going to kind of get the same uh, kangaroo court type of deal that a bunch of you've seen a bunch of schools get, but it's just kind of comes with it. Like it, initially when this happens, you kind of need to nip it in the bud and do the right not do the right thing. That's the not the right term here. Handle it the correct way or it'll blow up on you, and they did not, and it blew up on them. Yeah, and we called it from the jump, and it's not because we're unique. Everybody outside of the area code 901 knew that it was going to go down exactly this way, but the local media there just swore up and down that it was awesome and all of these things. And drawing the parallels between what Memphis did and the, the basic not cooperating with the NCAA is disingenuous at best. I saw multiple national, air quotes, national sports writers suggest that this is why you cooperate with the NCAA because I guess they got, um, you know, their their nice, what is it, shrimp cocktail at that place in Indianapolis that they go when they get their information fed to them. This is not what North Carolina did. North Carolina denied, denied, denied from day one, and it worked for them. Memphis openly admitted out loud, straight up, our coach paid almost $12,000 to this kid and his family to move to Memphis so he could play for me. And, oh, by the way, middle finger to the air, F-U-N-C-A-A, come get us. They admitted what they did and then also said, you can't touch me. Like, that's not the same thing as deny deny from the very beginning. That's not what Ole Miss, to bring it local, Ole Miss fans were asking their previous administration to do to the NCAA. They weren't asking them to be like, oh yeah, this guy got money, this guy got money, this guy got money, by the way, screw off because you can't do anything to us. They were asking you to not provide them information, even information that they weren't even looking for in some cases, and deny from the beginning or don't just aid them. Memphis waved a banner with neon lights that said, hey, we did this. And also, you can't touch us. That's where they screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to commit the crimes. It's another thing to flaunt the crimes. And that's what they did. 
they they basically went the full John Gotti route on this. And but the problem was they weren't Teflon. They got nailed. And you know, this it, I want to say this feels like a warning, but we've got coaches on wiretaps talking about strong ass offers. So <laughs> I mean, I don't think anything's going to change as a result of it, but Every so often, somebody gets made of an example of, it's going to be Memphis here. Memphis doesn't have any stroke. They don't have any power, you know. The NCAA, and I think, you know, the way Penny Hardaway has put that, that team together, I think people are anxious to knock them down a peg. So I, I, this, this is going to hurt for Memphis. It's, there's not going to be any uh, – they're, they're not going to, you know, give them any uh, quarter on this one. Louie from the 662 says, how in the howdy-doody is LSU football and basketball not being investigated? I think the, Because the, of what I just said. Yeah. They have stroke. They're LSU. They have power. They have money. Memphis doesn't have those things. There are rumblings, and that's all they are, uh, about a potential basketball situation there. But the story about the Our Lady of the Lake Hospital was, I think, too long ago uh, for them to really do anything about it. That's just my guess. But there is talk about basketball, but that's all it is. Uh, Nothing concrete. And uh, Richard in the 601 says, wasn't the Ole Miss investigation the first one with some new set of rules, once again making it up as they go? When you are the judge, jury, executioner, and everything in between, I guess you're allowed to do that. And they're doing it in this case. And Memphis, uh, it better buckle up. We'll look ahead to baseball. Ole Miss got a win last night over Memphis. We'll talk about that next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Have you guys ever heard of the apparently famous gambler Parlay Pats? I have not. No. Parlay Pats is a 23-year-old who became increasingly famous this past football season for um, amassing over $1.1 million in gross winnings via parlays in less than two months. Parlay Pats has been arrested for allegedly threatening to carry out acts of violence against athletes and their families. The district attorney, I cannot read today, the district attorney for the Middle District of Florida, Maria Lopez, announced earlier today the things that he has said, allegedly said on Instagram to a Pepperdine basketball player, talking about burning him alive, Uh, He will enter his home as he sleeps. He sent Instagram messages to Toronto Blue Jays player Freddie Galvis talking about how he will um, kill his daughters and used racial undertones. He also sent messages, allegedly, to uh, Colby Rasmus of the Tampa Bay Rays uh, about killing his family. Um The girlfriend of uh, Josh Donaldson of the Atlanta Braves got a message. Your husband uh, will be um, beheaded. Yeah, this guy, apparently a famous gambler, sent those threatening messages to players who caused him to lose bets, and now he's going to prison for it. As well he should. That's that's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Apparently he is a famous uh, gambler, but that just came across the feed. Um, Have fun in prison, bud. That's uh, that's where you that's belong. Brutal. Yeah. In baseball last night, Ole Miss eight to one win over Memphis. Rippy, did you see anything um, anything at all to take away from a midweek baseball game against a team in which Ole Miss was better than? 
I mean, it was just kind of a smaller sample size of what really the last uh, five, six games, whatever they have left in conference play and non-conference play. Excuse me, I guess it's five. Uh, is going to be about, and it's just trying to figure out and formulate some bullpen depth, tweak some stuff, and figure out a couple roles on the field. But, you know, they pitched six guys yesterday. Kimbrell was pretty good in three innings. But it kind of, once again, the guys on that are proven in the bullpen, the Austin Millers, the Max Trophies of the world, were really good. And everything else was not so-so because they had a couple guys who had good outings, but just wanted to see some more out of the young guys, and I think they probably got some answers. I don't know. I mean... Drew McDaniel struggled a little bit, but uh, you know Baker pitched well in the ninth. Oh, they, I thought Kimbrell was pretty good for the most part. So I think they're just trying to get some more picture, some pitchers, some more action, and kind of see what they have to build some bullpen depth. I think they're fine there, but if you can get, you know, there's five, six freshmen, sophomore in the mix. If you can get two of them to trust in high leverage situations or just important innings in SEC play, they'll be a lot better for it. 11 guys left on base last night, including a bases-loaded, no-out situation where the next three guys all struck out. This is going to be kind of the nature of this team, no? But 11 is still really high. Uh, yeah, I mean, they weren't particularly great offensively. Uh, the other I, the other night... Also, I had a 11 strikeouts. Get... 11 strikeouts, 11 left on base. Yeah, they had a couple chances to break the game open, but Memphis also walked 11 dudes and threw five wild pitches. They weren't exactly uh, pounding the strike zone. So, oh, scored eight runs, more than enough to win the game. Weren't great offensively, think they would admit that, but, you know, the game was never really in question after a couple innings. What did you see from Wes Burton? I mean, he looked really good in the Louisville series in his limited action. I guess he only pitched on Sunday, but was really, I mean, he was electric uh, with that 6-8 frame. How did he look last night? Because outing number two did not go near as well as outing number one. He was pretty good. He stranded two hits, struck out three of the seven batters he faced in uh, an inning and a third. I thought he looked pretty good. Uh, stuff good was enough to good. be a weekend contributor. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. I mean, I, I don't think last night's going to necessarily define anything, but I think it was a step in the right direction, and I think he looked pretty good. Uh, I, you know, probably the same thing for Cole Baker in the ninth. McDaniel struggled a little bit, but Kimbrell was pretty good too, and he's left-handed, and they're certainly going to need that. So, yeah, I thought you know three of the four were pretty good. And we'll talk about it more uh, as the week progresses, and we probably won't spend too much time on it as it is, but you have Princeton coming to town this weekend for a three-game set. Do you know anything about them? About Princeton? Yeah, about the Princeton Tigers. They're an they're actual an Ivy, Ivy League, League school. school. Yeah, there they're a go. real Ivy League school. <laughs> I believe uh, Reese Davis' kid that. plays uh, plays for them. Oh, there you go. That's the analysis people subscribe to the show for. Yeah, There's I mean, no it's Cornell, Princeton baseball, I'll tell you that. We get a text here from the 662. Miller was uh, really good last night. So, yeah, good pitching performance. Uh, scored eight runs. Win a midweek game. Pick up and, and just move on. Not a whole lot you can take away from these, but... Uh, it's better to win them than the uh, than the alternative, that's for sure. We've been talking about this for a few days. Brady and Belichick talked for the first time, reportedly went terribly. Details next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Off and running, hour number two, Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can on the ceasefire text line. 
601-879-4395. And remember, all guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We'll start the 4 o'clock hour with an NFL story. We've been talking about this a lot, as is everybody else. It's the story right now in sports. Where is Tom Brady going to go? Not just because of Brady himself, but the domino effect that will come with it. This weekend, Brady was caught FaceTiming with Mike Vrabel at a Syracuse basketball game. That has caused some speculation. A few weeks ago, there were rumors about Giselle visiting Nashville private schools. and It's a fun story, of course, because potentially the greatest quarterback of all time is going to leave the place he's always been for his potentially last two seasons. I mean, he's 42 years old, so presumably that would be the case. There's a new layer to this. This comes from the Boston Herald. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have finally spoken today about Brady coming back to the team. And according to this report from the Boston Herald, the two connected by phone today, Tuesday, and their conversation about Brady's free agency, quote, did not go well. It was the first time that Belichick contacted Brady about his contract situation and their plans together moving forward. Uh, The source would not reveal much more about the conversation other than the fact that it did not go well. And the report also wants to remind everyone that that doesn't mean a deal won't get done. It's not the end-all, be-all. But according to this report, conversation did not go well. Adam Schefter from ESPN, on the other hand, reported that the conversation went fine and everything's business as usual. That strikes me as Schefter got his info from the Patriots And this reporter got their info from the Brady side of things. That's my guess. But either way, another day of drama around Brady and his free agency with not having a good conversation with Bill Belichick. Until it happens, I'm not going to believe it's going to happen. I feel like this is the, uh, the, you know, Billy Napier is going to take the uh, the MSU job of the NFL right this second. It's just what everybody... Enough people have said it that it would feel like it's trying to be spoken to existence. But that said, I mean, maybe you just reach a point in your life where you just want to do something different. And if you feel like your chances of winning in one place are just as good as the next, you know, maybe it's just that time for Tom Brady. I, I, I hate to, I, I am not of the uh, mindset that I want this to happen. I think Tom Brady has always been a Patriot. I'd like to see him play his final game as a Patriot whenever that occurs. That's just me being sentimental, I guess, but we'll see where it takes us. You have any thoughts on this, Rippy? I know uh, you have a I vested mean, interest in in this in particular, but hey, this reporting, man, it it, it it doesn't shock me. They've always had an icy, personal, albeit very productive, professional relationship. The fact that them two caught each other about probably the biggest impediment in their 20 years together and it didn't go well is not necessarily very shocking to me. I mean, the only reason he was still around anyway is because of the owner, not the head coach. So, like, none of this is necessarily surprising. I just am not sure whether or not it means anything. And as you pointed out multiple times, see, this is why I think it's going to happen. Belichick didn't want Brady two years ago. Why would he want him now? Why, why would he want him now if he didn't want him two years ago and it was forced on him? And maybe he just feels it's the best option. 
I mean, is there is there a better option, Tom Brady, out there available for the for the Patriots? Does, are they that confident in their system? Now. Yeah. So uh-huh. you think Belichick does not want Brady back? I don't know if it's not a not one thing, but I don't think it, he's going to uh, fight real to, hard. Yeah. <laughs> From the six six two, it's very patriot like to have Tom figure out all he can about their competition and then resign. There you go. Uh, uh, no cameras around the Titans facility, which. It, by the way, the Titans still practice in a bubble. They don't even have a permanent indoor facility. The difference between college facilities and the NFL is actually kind of uh, surprising. They don't have to recruit anybody, so they don't have to play in these $100 million facilities. Give us a bubble that'll keep the rain out, and we're all good. I can, I can just see Brady. Yeah, Coach Rabel, send me your uh, playbook. I'll have a look at it, and I'll tell you what I think. And then Mike going, yeah, sure, Tom. Here, have it. Anything for you, Tom. <laughs> Man... I said this yesterday. I I am so intrigued by the idea of him playing somewhere else. And it worked for Manning. So if you're if you're Brady looking at this, what's your motivation for staying and then what's your motivation for leaving? If you were Tom Brady, what's your motivation for staying? What's your motivation for leaving? Your motivation for staying is loyalty. And that's really all it could be, right? It's just, I've been here my whole life. These were the guys, you know, you think about Tom Brady and the way he still reacts to that, uh, to the fact that he was picked in the sixth round and all those guys were taken ahead of him. It's, that's, that ship remains on his shoulder despite all he's done. Maybe there's some sort of loyalty there for him to the Patriots. Why, why would you do it? There, there are legitimately better options for you. There are better teams that he could sign with. If he could sign with the Titans, if he could sign with the 49ers, maybe even the Cowboys. Those might be better options at this time. Jason says he's with you, Haydad. I fully expect Brady to re-sign with the Patriots for a half-eaten sandwich, and the Patriots promise him to back up the Brinks truck to get some actual NFL wide receivers. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed. I really wouldn't. But I'm always taken aback by the suggestion that Brady is doing this for attention. That yeah. he just wants the Patriots to to woo him back, and that he he's just that's what he wants is he wants the attention. Maybe I'm completely off base, and I know he married a supermodel. I know that. I know he's he, he had the Gillette ads, and he's sponsored by UGGs, and he's just a very fancy guy. But he doesn't strike me as a guy that needs attention. I mean, the way he goes about his business, being a quarterback, is very workmanlike. Is very um, blue collar in a way with the way he approaches playing the game with football and how he prepares and how he keeps his body healthy if you're interested in a diet google what brady does the guy's a freak he, he's insane but that's why he's such a good winner i can't subscribe to this idea that he's only messing with the titans he's only messing with free agency he just wants attention i don't buy that no, you're with, I'm with you on that. I, I don't see that at all. That seems like the, the anti-Tom Brady. He seems like a guy who has tried to shy away from attention his entire career. Here's a question. if For fantasy football, if you could put Brady on any team, where would you put him? Somewhere in the AFC so the Saints don't have to deal with him. Uh, <laughs> the Titans makes a lot of sense. 
good young team, great running game to sort of keep the pressure off, great defense. Makes a lot of sense there. The Colts make sense. I could never see that, though. Can you imagine? Oh, man, yeah. Um, you know, the Chargers make sense. The 49ers makes a lot. Of, the 49ers are right there. They're right there. What if they had been a little bit more dynamic offensively? Could Tom Brady give them that? I don't know. Gibbon Greenwood says, he, I just think he's won six Super Bowls doing it the Patriot way and working and grinding and having zero fun playing football. And now he can go to Nashville and play with Mike Vrabel, who, but, I mean, they're friends, and just have fun playing the last two years of his career with a, a really good team. And it won't be much pressure on him to win a Super Bowl like it was in New England. That's Gibbon Greenwood. I just don't think he's interested in playing and not being in Super Bowl contention. Right. He he won't. Yeah. He's not going to sign with. Uh, you know, he's the, trying the to win one without. Or, yeah. His maker. I agree with that. So you think he's gone with the way you just put that? I mean, if he were to no, no, I'm just saying if he were to leave, that would be the reason. Like he wouldn't just go to be like, oh, warm weather, I'll win nine games in the AFC South and get to play in Color Rush Thursday. Like I don't think that would be much <laughs> of his. Uh, much into like I don't think that would factor into his thinking. Yeah. From the six six two Saban Bill Belichick connection, Tua to the Patriots. Uh they would have to trade mm. up significantly to, trade to make that happen. But if anybody's got don't, don't shouldn't they have the draft capital? They've been hoarding picks for years. That is the most underrated thing about that franchise and what they've done. Is mm. every deal they make, you feel like they, I mean, they completely, for lack of a better term, screwed the team that they made the deal with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they, the one they, time they, that didn't happen recently with Sanu, it came out he had a really significant injury that hampered him. So it yeah. even makes sense there. And there's yeah. more momentum. I mean, if you want to call it momentum, the chatter about the swap with San Francisco, Garoppolo for Brady. That chatter is out there. I don't. I just don't believe that's going to happen. But that noise is getting louder for whatever it may be worth. We'll see. There are some things we'll I wanted to get to yesterday on the NFL rumor front. We'll get to those next. And uh, keep your text rolling in. 601-879-4395. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Ben in Tylertown says, you guys are sick with the coronavirus. Brady's not going anywhere. And he also calls next year's Super Bowl Brady versus Breeze. I can live with that. I think if he stays in New England, he's not making it. Probably not, but I can still live with it. That's Ben in Tylertown. Thank you for being part of the show. And you want to be like Ben, you can. 601-879-4395 on the text line. Speaking of um, the the coronavirus from a sports angle, um, there has been multiple groups that have asked the NCAA not to have uh, people at their games. And I saw a joke that that would really give an advantage to the Pac-12 teams because they're used to not playing in front of people all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, as you can imagine, they like money more than anything else, and they so far have said no, but this growing idea that you're going to have empty stadiums and stuff, I mean, they're already doing it over in Europe, and you've got groups around here asking uh, the NCAA to do the same thing with March Madness coming up. Uh, you've even had the NBA, which this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. 
The NBA had released an internal memo telling players to not give high fives to fans, but give them fist bumps. Like, you're still yeah. touching hands with people. Well, I mean, what do you think the coronavirus is like? Ah, uh, nah, man. Nah, I, I, can't, I can't transmit via fist bump. It's got to be a high five. I'm a big high five guy. No bumps around here. Like, you can still... There's no difference between the two. I, I don't get that. It's, I, I guess it's more like your fingers aren't touching each other and your fingers sometimes go in your mouth. Maybe that's where you're going with that. I don't know. Here's a, a text pertaining to something we were talking about earlier. From 601 says, not sure I understand your perspective on the Memphis on your Memphis comments. He said Memphis disclosed the payment to the family in 2017 after Wiseman's sophomore season in high school by part by Hardaway, then a high school coach who had no idea if and when he would ever be Memphis's coach. All right, you lost me right there. Yeah, you lost me. If you're telling me that in 2017 Penny Hardaway did not know if he would ever be the Memphis head coach, you lose me. You lose me. Because his name was out there for everybody to hear long before Tubby got fired. That that thing, that deal, whatever you want to call it, was in the works for a long time. And he was paying James it was Wiseman's... A coup. It was a complete coup. He was paying James Wiseman's family to move to Memphis so he could play for him when he got the head coaching job at Memphis. Use your brain, my friend. Come on now. But he continues... The NCAA rules Wiseman eligible and clears him to play for Memphis back in March. Then they change their mind in November and declare him likely ineligible because Penny had given the university money back in 2008, a significant amount of money, a seven-figure amount. Because Wiseman had made decisions based on the NCAA initial ruling, files lawsuit, plays three games, yada, yada, yada. You answered your own question right there. No matter what the reason... Penny gave Wiseman's family, whether or not he knew, air quotes, that he was taking the job there is completely irrelevant because he was a booster. He gave the school a massive dollar amount gift that rendered him a booster. So when he gave a player money, it doesn't matter if he was the coach there or not. It's still a violation. Then him being the coach there just made it all the more worse for Memphis. Everybody and their brother knows... I'm sorry, hey, Dad. No. That he was taking was, that job. Yep. Yeah. Is that exactly correct? This is the same thing. Any fan of any team, when they're getting penalized by the NCAA, does. They're going to try to rationalize everything. Memphis fans are doing it. State fans tried to do it with, with the Tudor Gate thing. Ole Miss fans certainly <laughs> tried to do it with everything that happened there. And when you're a school, if you're listening and you're in Alabama, Auburn, whoever you're a fan of, when the NCAA comes, you will try to rationalize what your school did too. And the thing is? The rationalization exists because you shouldn't be punished for such things, but you are because it's it's against an arbitrary set of rules that don't make any sense. Yeah. That's fair enough, but it it is what it is. When you flaunt it like that? Yeah, any trouble. There's the difference. And it it always goes back to Ole Miss because we're in the state. But like it, if Hugh Freeze never tweeted what he did and had that that sanctimonious attitude, he would have a better "they were out to get me" defense. But man, you invited that. Like you asked, literally asked people to investigate you, and so you can't be mad about 
when they do it. Same thing with Memphis. If you want to believe that he paid Wiseman's family to move to Memphis, even though he had no idea he was going to be the head coach, and he just did it out of the kindness of his heart, he just found an elite-level basketball player a few hours away, gave them a bunch of money to move to Memphis because he just out of the kindness of his heart. That's well, all. Well, you could make the AAU argument. Sure. That's fine. But if you want to believe that, that's a, okay. I won't argue with you. You're wrong, but I won't argue with you. Agreed. But when the school flaunts it and just has this, yeah, this happened, but you can't do anything. Come at us. We're going to play him anyway. We're going to sue you. We're going to do all this stuff, and we're going to play him. And the local media there did the same thing, and they had shirts made with the Memphis logo and a red crosshairs on it, you kind of deserve what's coming to you, even if you were indirectly innocent. Do what North Carolina did. That's the blueprint. Say nothing. Do nothing. Admit nothing. Draw zero attention to yourself in any way, shape, or form. It worked for them. Nobody even really talks about that anymore. North Carolina had fake classes where kids were getting A's for writing four sentences because they had to document that at least something existed, but that's what they were. They were fake classes to get athletes' grades. But they said nothing. They did nothing. The only public statements they released were, it was for all the students, we're innocent, that's it. They drew no attention to themselves. They didn't call anybody out. They just said it was for all students. They never wavered on their were innocent and never admitted to anything. So they got off. That's the blueprint. Not whatever Memphis did. And you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, if this was happening to Duke, well, it wouldn't have even gotten this far if it was happening to Duke. By the way, I forgot. I heard about something the other day. I forgot this. Speaking of Duke. Did you see? I, I know you hate to give Coach K credit for anything. I know. And I, I'm, I'm with you on that most of the time. But he completely dunked on his haters the other day, and it was fantastic. Did you see this? Yeah. He said, look up at the banners or something yeah. like that. Great. So he, somebody on the radio show said something about people have been criticizing the players, and he and he took, so he takes up for his players, first and foremost, which I like. He's like, look, something goes wrong out there. Don't criticize my players. You come criticize me. I'm the one who gets the criticism. And then he says, but if you want to criticize me, why don't you come to Cameron and look up at the roof? And maybe you shouldn't be doing that. That's fantastic. That's pretty I'll give him good. That I'll give him that one. Although that doesn't justify not getting the best player in college basketball a touch in the final six minutes of an NCAA tournament game, though. You're not wrong. I'm just saying, though. <laughs> every so, we, 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 we pile on him so much. Every so often, when he doesn't been good, you have to give him a little credit. Rippy's not a fan. No, I That's thought fun. that was awesome as well. I agree. That's a uh, mic drop moment. I thought he did a bad job with that team last year, and I think his antics are sometimes – he gets away with things that other coaches wouldn't get away with, but that was a power move. Text here from the 662. The biggest problem is the way the AAU has a perverse effect on amateur basketball. Shoe companies, AAU coaches, boosters, etc. He says college basketball is too many moving parts that are all shady. You're exactly right. It, and I don't know how you fix it, but when you've got major shoe companies – 
that, and we knew, I mean, we've been talking about this for years. In fact, a few years ago when coaches were getting hired, you wanted a coach that had shoe company connections. I mean, that's how blatant and open it was that you have shoe companies that are sponsoring U15 AAU teams and steering these kids to schools that they also sponsor. It was wide out in the open. I mean, everybody knew it existed and didn't want to call it what it was, which was, I mean, shady at best. College basketball recruiting, or excuse me, college football recruiting has nothing on the way college basketball has worked. Nothing. And I don't know how you fix it. It's it's terrible. It's unfixable. We just you just keep going forward with it the way that it is. Sports Talk Mississippi. 601-879-4395 is the text line if you want to be a part of the conversation. You can do so that way. How mummy, by the way, coached a game in the XFL this weekend with a broken leg. Got hit. Not soft. Got hit on the sidelines. Broke his leg. Kept coaching. On the sidelines. It's crazy. I stub a toe and I'm out for like 20 minutes. So he's tougher than me. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Mother. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Wednesday. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Rippey, I know you don't um, look at the text line much, but... A lot of times, we have people that just kind of hear what they want. You know that. But you don't look at it much, so maybe you didn't see this. I get a text here that says, yeah, Coach K is a terrible coach. Won how many games? A thousand and something? Geez. Oh, I didn't say he was that... a terrible coach. He's just a sanctimonious fraud. Yeah. Again, guy with jet black hair at 70 is not who you think he is on the surface. I'm stunned. All I suggested was that he mismanaged the second half of the second half, if you will, the final six minutes of their NCAA tournament game a year ago. And he did. He mismanaged the second half of the season. They all regressed. That team got worse. There's no disputing it. There were t- there were talks about them. Could they beat the uh, – or could they – they won two games in Madison Square Garden in November. They are talking about could they beat the Knicks? Could they go – Undefeated, whatever. That team 100% regressed. He didn't do a good, good coaching job with that team. That doesn't mean he's a bad coach, but that would require nuance and using your brain. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I love when you get on that. But, yeah, I mean, Nick Saban has faults. It, you can criticize a good coach and, and that still be okay. I mean, it's especially egregious after you've seen – uh, I mean, how good, I know I toot his horn a lot, but deservedly so, how good Zion has been. He didn't give him a touch in the final six minutes, and he's out here bullying NBA players. It's absurd. But that that conversation, it comes up all the time, especially in the summer. The, can this really good college team beat this really bad professional team? And in terms of football and basketball, the answer is exclusively, exclusively No. Baseball is probably a little bit more muddy, but still the answer is no. But you could have like an elite-level pitcher just have a really good day and make it interesting. But no, the answer is no. Or LSU last year, it was the worst team in the end. It was the Bengals, right? Alabama, or LSU last year would have lost to last year's Cincinnati Bengals by eight touchdowns in a regular football game, at least. Fair. 
it's just a completely different world and the pros are grown men and their schemes are more nuanced. They're bigger and stronger and faster. Everything about it is nonsense. And yet every year, and you're getting it some now with could the best XFL team beat an NFL team? And that's just, do you not feel stupid when you say that out loud? Even if you're just posing a question. Like sometimes I ask these guys questions that I feel like I I know the answer to and I know what their answer is going to be. But for the sake of good content and, and discussion fodder, I'll ask them questions. But never would I ever pose a question that's that stupid. I would feel uncomfortable with myself asking it. Why do these people that get paid millions of dollars to be on national TV not think to themselves, man, why are we talking about this? Because this should be the shortest segment in sports, radio, or television. Because it's one word. No. Yeah. That's what you get paid to do, though, I guess. Did you see the uh, the uh, Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp, was asked about the coronavirus? Yeah, and maybe I can yeah, actually he had a gr- I can pull that up in time, actually. Yeah. Maybe we can play it. He had a great answer, and if you can't, it's basically he's like, why are you asking me? I manage a football team. I wear a baseball cap. Why are you asking me about this? Yeah, here it is. Um, so this is just on a whim, so hopefully an autoplay or something doesn't happen. But uh, Jurgen Klopp, who is, um, as I understand it, hey, Dad, like the best soccer coach or football yeah. manager, if you will, out there. Yes. What's his name? Jurgen Klopp. He's German. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, so he was asked about the coronavirus. That's what we let off the segment with. And this is brilliant, and this should be everybody's mentality when – Athletes or coaches or whoever veer off topic. This is really good stuff. Question about the coronavirus: Are you worried as a team, as a club, about the spread of it or how it might affect you? Look, what I don't like in life is that um, a very serious thing, a football manager's opinion, is important. I don't understand that. I really don't understand it. it, it, it can could ask you. You are exactly the same role than I am. So, and it's not important. But famous people, but famous people say no. You have to. We have to speak about the things in the right manner, not people with no knowledge, like me, talking about something. People with knowledge to talk about it and should tell the people do this, do that, do this, and everything will be fine or not. So, and not football managers. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. <laughs> have a baseball cap a and a bad shave. shave. His beard is not that. great. Yeah, that guy's really. If you were ever going to get into soccer, that's a good guy. He, he I, I, even though he doesn't coach my team, I, I respect him. He's he's a good coach, but he's also very very uh, forward like that. He, he just he just talks, man. It's great. I bet his teams play good defense. Uh, what does so? <laughs> What, what does like? I wish you had seen that more in like American sports when you were dealing with the anthem protests and all that and all that stuff, yeah. or just politics and gen- really just since like twenty the twenty sixteen presidential election. It's like it's not that they shouldn't be able to talk, uh, not that they shouldn't be able to talk about those things, but like if they don't want to answer it, corning those dudes into answers. Yeah, I mean, like we're not fascist here. If you you want to. Say whatever you want, go for it, man. I think that sports people should generally stick to to sports. Um, Not because um, you're not free to have a political opinion. I think you just isolate people if you give one, and you should just err on the side of not doing it. This is my opinion, but you can 
feel free to disagree, but like when a reporter goes up to Steve Kerr, who is a former professional basketball player and now he's a professional basketball coach, and asks him nuanced questions about Trump and then when the reporter is challenged on it, his response is, well, well, the people really want to know. Like, this is important. He's got a platform. But who cares what a basketball coach thinks about this? Like, why is he's got a platform? He should speak. I'll take my political information from people who study politics. I'll take my weather information from weathermen. I'll take my coronavirus stuff from medical people. And viral doctors. Like, I've never understood the people really need to know what Steve Kerr thinks about this nuanced political topic. Where does that come from? It's just, it's an easy way to drive clicks and engagement. And, and I'm not a big fan of everybody calling everything clickbait, but if I put Steve Kerr talks about Trump, everybody's going, to, everybody who has any interest in politics and sports is probably going to give that a look. Just It's just easy money. Rip, you were going to say something? No, I I don't. I wasn't going to say anything. I agree. I mean, it's polarizing president, polarizing times. It's all kind of the perfect storm. But it would have been nice in like 2017 just to be see something. I don't know. I play football. Yeah, I I don't care. I mean, I coach basketball. I got a game tonight. You guys going to ask me about that? That would have been some people's best defense in the NBA China thing. I it don't would know. have been perfect. Just I yeah, it's like I I just don't know enough don't about know. it. You know, and people would have bought that. I don't know, man. I really don't. Like, I just play. I just coach basketball. I'll, I'll let the smart people deal with that. I'm good. It's difficult. Scotty and Pontotoc says Bork's bringing it strong today. I appreciate you, Scotty. Glad you are listening. From the six six two, it could quite possibly be the dumbest move any athlete can make is discussing politics in front of a camera or microphone because you're going to alienate basically half of your fan base and it's bad for business. Just stupid. I wish none of them would ever utter a political sentence. And, and see, there are people, I'm not saying you're like that. I have no idea. I'm just, I'm speaking out loud. There are people that will say stick to sports to people that have political opinions they disagree with. But if somebody speaks to, to their liking, they love it. And you see that all the time in sports media, who is just speaking factually, is very left leaning. So when an athlete has left leaning political opinions, it's Oh, wow, what a hero. He's so brave. But when an athlete has right-leaning political opinions, it's, oh, that, that's that's bad. He shouldn't do that, and the league should do so. You know, it, it's different based on the opinion. I, no matter and, what. And a, a lot of times it's the other way with the people who are reacting. If you get an athlete who has left-leaning, a lot of people are like, he should stick to sports. But if somebody were to come out and have right-leaning, a lot of people, those same people would say, well, he's just speaking out his mind, and this is America, and you're allowed to do that. So. Coming up next, Super Tuesday reaction. Well, Rippy, you didn't you didn't have a good day yesterday. I had a great day yesterday. Are you sure? Yep. Ernie got smoked, man. What a shame. Wasn't paying attention. I'm just a beat reporter. I was at a baseball game eating a hot dog. That sounds a lot better than sitting at home watching that. Um, from the 601, just pull Nick Saban. He doesn't know anything but Alabama football. And I promise you, Nick Saban is a very smart guy, and I know that he would probably have a very measured take on a a political issue. He would, but he chooses not to. Smart thing to do. 
Football coaches actually practice what we're talking about more often than anyone. I mean, Mike Zimmer earlier this year said he doesn't have a TV. And uh, a follow-up from uh, the guy in the 662, I could not care less what their political view is, just alienates half the fan base. I'm with you, I agree. It doesn't matter if I agree with them or not. I think you should just avoid it. But nobody asked me. On this day in sports history, a really, really, really good baseball one. We'll get to that next. engagement today really glad that you guys are with us kind of went down a road we weren't planning on i've got my notes in front of me and didn't have this on the schedule today but sometimes it happens like that really glad you're with us always an interesting conversation about the the line that should be drawn between sports and other things and we, we veer off topic on this show all the time um so happened again today glad uh that you are with us on this day in sports history. Let me just restart the entire segment. Let me get some music back here and, and I can try again. On this day in sports history, presented by Acoustic Wave Therapy. Uh, you can visit AcousticWaveMS.com, see how they can help you today. No surgery, no incisions, same day treatment. AcousticWaveMS.com, find out how they can help you. On this day in 1927, Babe Ruth became the highest paid player in Major League Baseball history when he signed a three-year $210,000 contract with the Yankees. That's right, $70,000 a year, the highest paid player in Major League Baseball at the time. As you probably know, he hit 342 for his career, 2,873 hits, 714 home runs, and by the way, had 94 wins on the mound with a 2.28 ERA, seven World Series, and was a 95% vote-getter in the 1936 Hall of Fame induction. He was all right. He was just okay, I think. Better pitch. Best probably. athlete you ever saw, hey, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> nah, you know. I always thought Garrig was better. How has he held up among the greatest baseball players of all time? And of course, like if Babe Ruth was pitching to these guys today, he would get smoked. But relative to what he did then, has that still held up? I think so. I think if you said list the five greatest baseball players of all time, most everybody would have Babe Ruth in the top five. You agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think it's disputable. So yeah, on this day, 1927, Babe Ruth, highest paid player in Major League Baseball. And speaking of that, there was another um, mic'd up moment today, and there was also more Astros jokes on the mic'd up moments today. They just can't Good. help themselves. Good. I thought you were about to play it. I was getting excited there. I can uh, I can find it, actually, if uh, if you want me to. But basically, it was... Uh, oh gosh, I can't explain it. We will play it. I'll find it. But uh, yeah, the mic'd up thing for Major League Baseball is really, really working in spring training. People are talking about it. Uh, aside from the Astros jokes, even though there was one that was made here, uh, people asking for more of this mic'd up stuff. And I can't say there's anything that would get me to not want that. I want that in every game. I want guys getting uh, plunked in every game. We had a, an interesting question yesterday in our mailbag for uh, Thunder and Lightning. 
If I said I could give you Bregman, Altuve, or the field for who gets plunked the most this year, who who are you picking? Rippy, do you have a guess? Probably Altuve, but smaller target. True. <laughs> All right, here it is. So J.D. Davis was on the uh, 2017 World Series team, and Dom Smith, these guys are all mic'd up, and this is what Dom Smith said while mic'd up about his teammate today. Since you're an infielder who now plays the outfield occasionally, you use a, a little cheat sheet also, correct? Yes, yes, I do. J.D. have a ton of cheat sheets. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> pretty good and they're just airing that on ESPN you think they'll put a stop to that Uh, well I mean obviously they're not going to have players mic'd up during the regular season probably so that'll that'll be a big stop to it the question becomes how many of these jokes get worked in you know in in post game interviews and stuff while you really curveball there you really got a hold of that oh yeah yeah, had an idea it was coming you know got the buzz in and (laughs) <laughs> Knew that it was, you know, something like that is going to happen. So Ben in Tylertown says the Babe Ruth ate cookies instead of steroids. We also got another text that said, "Don't forget, Babe Ruth did it while eating hot dogs, drinking whiskey, smoking cigars, and staying up all night chasing women." And just like steroids don't make you a great baseball player, neither does that stuff. I'm living proof. <laughs> and we get a really uh, cool text here. I'm not even from the United States. Only been working here for two years. Glad you're listening to our show. And he says, I know who Babe Ruth is. Greatness transcends age and international sure. barriers. So, uh, Danny, that's Danny in Cleveland, man. Thank you for listening. That's really cool. Glad you're with us. College football fix is next. There is an idea proposed. This is the time of year if we're going to talk college football. The big hot thing is conference realignment. But there's a really good story in The Athletic today. Something that might actually be on the table. Pac-12's in trouble. Can somebody save them? Maybe so. And it might involve dissolving the league. We'll get those details next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour off and running on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky. Brian, hey, Dad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Real quick, before we get to the college football fix, Tracy B. in Hattiesburg says, listening to you guys on my way home from work, I decided to check Wikipedia. Tom Brady was born just 20 miles south of San Francisco. And Tracy gives us the little, you know, thinking man emoji thing. Yeah. I got this via email from Tracy, too. Good scoop. Did y'all not know that? I had no idea, to tell you the truth. I yeah, did yeah. know that. I just don't think it makes sense for San Francisco. It doesn't, but, you know. Yeah, he went to, uh, what is the, there's that big-time powerhouse foot pro- program out there. I can't remember what the name of it is, right? It's the second. Cal? No, I mean, no, I'm talking about high school. Um, Like, oh, modern day, is that yeah, what it is? Matt, yeah, isn't that where Matt Barkley went? I believe that's correct, yeah. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, that's something to keep an eye on. More people are talking about the Brady and Garoppolo swap. Uh, San Francisco, New England just switching quarterbacks. 
I don't see it, but man, people keep talking about it, and so maybe it'll, they'll just speak it into existence. I, uh, I have no idea. But this is the time of year where college football news is at a minimum. In fact, you don't want to be in the news if you're a college football program because right now the only thing that is newsworthy for you is the fact that one of your players got arrested or is transferring. That's really only the college, the only college football news you get right now. Spring practice is starting here in a few weeks. That'll change everything, especially around here um, with Ole Miss and Mississippi State having high-profile spring practices. We'll talk a lot about those when they come, but in the interim... There is no college football news, and so people start talking about conference realignment, and that is where we will begin the college football fix. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Stop by and test drive an F-150 today, the best-selling truck for almost four decades, and it's tax season. You get a nice return. You spend that on a truck. Ford F-150 college football fix. This is from The Athletic and Andy Staples. We kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday with the, or I guess it was, gosh, maybe Monday. Days are running together. Either way, we've talked about it recently about what college football will look like in the future. We were asked yesterday about teams that the SEC would add, and, and the answer quite simply is teams that are not in their footprint right now. People love talking about conference realignment. And Southern Cal's athletic director recently kind of sparked a new flame in that conversation. The Pac-12 is obviously, as you know, not doing very well. Uh, They're not doing very well financially. They are not doing very well with their television contract. They're not doing very well on the field. Not exactly competitive across the board as a league. They're blue blood programs, or at least the most important program in the league not doing very well uh, in Southern Cal, and they recruited their worst recruiting class maybe ever. A lot of issues in the Pac-12, and the biggest one is their television contract. You can't watch Pac-12 football unless you're up until 10.30 and otherwise. They don't have a setup like we do here in SEC country where no matter what, if you own a television, you can watch every single game your Bulldogs and your Rebels play on Saturday. Every single one. You can find it. And that is with any television service that you can sign up for. If you have a TV, if you get a service, you can watch your Bulldogs and your Rebels every single Saturday. That doesn't exist out there. They can't fill up their stadiums. They can't get anybody to win on the field. They generate zero interest to the point where they're exploring having games that would start at 9 o'clock local time just to get people to watch them. The conference is in horrible shape. And the athletic director from Southern Cal even mentioned that leaving the Pac-12 would be on the table. That everything's on the table if they don't get right. And the problem with that league compared to this one, and even you can throw the, the Big Ten and the Big 12 in there, because the Big Ten is in states that are football crazy. The state of Ohio is insane for Ohio State football. The state of Michigan, same thing for the University of Michigan. Pennsylvania, same thing for Penn State. It's not as sweeping as it is here in SEC country, but they still have that passion, right? The people that need their football. The Big 12 has it to a degree with Oklahoma and Texas. They've got that to a point. The Pac-12 doesn't have it. There's nothing they can do out there to get people to care more. You're never going to get people to care about California football. 
but yet Ole Miss and Mississippi State fill up 60,000-seat stadiums every Saturday for the most part. Ignore 2019. They have another four years before they can renegotiate their television contract, and by then it won't be worth anything. In the meantime, the Big Ten, the SEC, and even the Big 12 will have massive new deals. So Andy Staples, in this story in The Athletic, here's the money quote. I'll just read this and then we'll discuss it. Between now and when the Pac-12's media rights deal runs out in the spring of 2024, the Big 12 needs to invite Southern Cal, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and Arizona State. He says they need to do what the Pac-12 tried to do to them 10 years ago. They need to do it unapologetically. He said if we learned anything from the previous rounds of conference realignment, it's a kill-or-be-killed business. The Pac-12 took its shot in 2010 and missed. The Big 12 can secure long-term survival by ensuring that it doesn't survive at all. That's an interesting premise. What do you guys think about all this? I mean, it feels like it's going to happen, doesn't it? I mean, they're always looking for ways to make more money in college football and, and you know, killing off a league that's not making as much money and getting the big schools into a league that would make more money makes a, a ton of sense. You know, a, a Big 12, I mean, this almost happened, you know, obviously a few years back. And... You know, it would have been huge then, and it would be bigger now, I think, because they're talking about bringing in not, you know, that was just basically to get Texas in. This is more to get the, the big schools out and sort of, you know, leave the, 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 the leftovers behind the Oregon State, the Washington State. It, it really is a statement about the Pac 12 that, you know, if Mike Leach takes a job at Tennessee or Florida or Georgia, that's not that big a deal. But he really sort of like for like swapped there what Dan Mullen would term a lateral move. He went from a mid-tier Pac-12 team to a mid-tier SEC team, and they gave him a lot more money. And that just shows you the difference right there, right? I mean, would you have ever thought five years ago that Mississippi State could just pull a sitting Power 5 head coach? They did it with pretty pretty, pretty easily from what it sounds like. This was a job you know, he was waiting on. He was looking for an SEC job. He got the right job. And it was just no no th- no thought put into it. Really, just, I'm leaving Washington State. So, the mid tier and lower tier teams in the Pac-12, they really just don't bring very much to the table. You got a thought, Rippy? It's interesting. I don't know how realistic it is, but it makes sense in terms of what happened like a decade ago and kind of the reverse of it now. But I don't know because if you were Southern Cal. And that opportunity is afforded to you. What's keeping you in the Pac-12? Here's another question. If you are NC State, what's keeping you in the ACC if the SEC comes calling? It's a good question. Uh-huh. Because that... I agree with you, Hayden. It's inevitable. This kind of thing... I think it's inevitable because with the way the Pac-12 is failing, um, something like this is going to happen. When you have their bell cows, athletic director, straight up telling you that's on the table because this isn't working for us, uh, the new cycle of realignment, which will shake up every league in college football, which is why I'm bringing this here to the radio in Mississippi, because if that begins out there, it will affect the SEC somehow, whether... 
or not they add teams or whatever the case may be, it will affect us here in one way or another. So that's why I brought this conversation here. But if if they do that, it starts a domino effect. And I mean, who knows what college football looks like after that? I think at the end of the day, for the most part, the teams that are in strong conferences are going to be okay. So State and Ole Miss, they're not going anywhere. The SEC is not going to kick anybody out. What you have to worry about is... No, they're stuck with us around here. Right, but are you worried about a weak... If you're in a weak conference and you're Oregon State or you're, you know, if you talk about the Big 12, if you're... I'm trying to think who's on the sort of the bottom of the barrel there. Like Iowa State, I know they're winning games, but they're they're not a program that brings a lot. You You have a legit concern. It's crazy. See, and Andy, in this column in The Athletic, you can read it there, says that he doesn't think the SEC is adding teams, and I strongly disagree with that. I expect that to happen within 10 years. Yeah, I agree. Interesting stuff. More coming up. We'll circle back. New audience here in the 5 o'clock hour to Mississippi State's loss last night to South Carolina. Ole Miss, Missouri tonight, Ole Miss baseball. A few more things for you as well coming up. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Last night in what we called a must-win game going into it, Mississippi State went to Columbia, South Carolina. Fell down huge early in the ballgame to where you thought they weren't going to be in it whatsoever. I think at one point early on in the first half, South Carolina went on a 20 to nothing run. And somehow, someway, Mississippi State fought back, down two at the half, could not seal the deal in the second half, and now the proverbial bubble has likely bursted. So, hey, Dad, last night, 83-71 was the final score. Mississippi State... Outside of Carter and Perry, who, as you mentioned earlier in the show, and in case you missed any of that conversation, the podcast will be available for you the second the show ends on the website at supertalk.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi, and you can find this show right there for you in case you missed that conversation. But Carter and Perry got in foul trouble, were really the only scorers in the game, and Mississippi State just could not get a win when they needed one the most. Yeah, just nothing else happened for Mississippi State offensively besides those two guys. Woodard was in double figures, but wasn't nearly enough. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, they really let South Carolina have their way, getting a lot of high-percentage looks, let them shoot uh, 5 of 11 from three, turn the ball over too many times. Basically, they did everything you couldn't do in a must-win game, and and in the end, they got the result they, they deserved. They, they, they didn't deserve to win that game. They didn't play well enough to win it, and they didn't. And what's next for them, basically – is you have to, I mean, at worst, get to Sunday in Nashville to have a shot. I what think, it feels yeah, like anyway. If you Let's say you lose on Sunday. Uh, you would be 23-12. and 12. You, you might be, because you would have what I would imagine would be two more Quadrant 1 wins. You'd have neutral site wins over over decent enough teams. You know, you to get to Sunday, you're probably going to end up having to beat Auburn or LSU or Kentucky, one of the two. The other, you know, whoever's not in the championship game. Um, so some opportunities there, obviously, but I just don't see how you can look at this Mississippi State team and their body of work and everything they've done and say that you have any confidence that that's what's going to happen next week. And uh, another reminder: you can find uh, our conversation from earlier in the show went uh, in depth about. 
uh, the program, the future of the program, kind of underachieving relative to the talent that they have um, on the podcast, which will be uploaded basically the second the show ends today. Also in hoops, Ole Miss tonight uh, against Missouri Rippey. The only story, as you mentioned earlier, is Brian Tyree's senior night. He's put the team on his back. Uh, probably extremely frustrating. Maybe at times has shown it a little bit, but uh, handled a really tough situation in his final year, underachieving relative to expectations, and uh, handled it well by all accounts. Yeah, I mean, he's had a good year. Probably would have an SEC Player of the Year case if the team was better. Uh, like you said, tonight's really all about him. That's about all there is to it. Matt in Savannah, Tennessee, text in and says, how about them Vols taking down uh, Kentucky? Did you guys get a chance to watch that game last night? No, but I, I heard about it. And, yeah, the, to be down 17 points and come back on Kentucky is is pretty doggone impressive. That's in a, Rupp. Yeah, that's a good win for uh, for Tennessee. And how about Kentucky? I don't remember the players. doesn't matter. Um, but really getting after each other while up 17 during a timeout in a team huddle. I mean, Not it good. was... And they released a statement today about how if you don't get mad when you lose, then you know that's a sign of a, a somebody who's not a competitor or whatever. But that was during a point in the game when you were up 17, and that was more than just regular teammates getting after each other. That looked ugly to me. And maybe I'm wrong, but when you do that and then turn around and give up a 17-point lead, there's some issues there. Got to be. And then you know, this is not that's not the right time for this. You know, you don't want, you yeah. don't want that happening uh, at this time. So, you know, Calipari is a coach that, for the most part, he 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 forces his will onto his team, and they, they you know they don't normally have these kind of issues. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Also in the state last night, uh, you had Ole Miss beat Memphis in the midweek. Rippy, not a whole lot either way. You can never really take out of these games, but uh, you were impressed with the pitching performance last night. Yeah, I mean they had a couple young guys that came in. They needed. They still kind of the theme of these last five non-conference games is to figure out how you can build some depth in the bullpen behind kind of the three-headed monster that is Broadway. Chofi and Miller before you get to Braden Forsythe. So you saw some younger guys pitch. pitch. Jackson Kimbrell, I thought, fared pretty well. Threw a changeup really for the first time that you've seen this year in the limited action that he's gotten that was really good. Uh, Drew McDaniel struggled a little bit. Wes Burton I thought was pretty good. And then Cole Baker in the ninth was was pretty efficient as well. So a little bit of a mixed bag from the younger pitchers, but overall probably pretty good. But that was really kind of the story. Not much offensively. Speaking of baseball in the state, by the way, forgot to mention this uh, at any point today. Mistake on my part. No Mississippi State, Southern Miss, and Pearl tonight. So if you're heading in that direction, uh, turn sorry, around. Sorry, I didn't tell you sooner. Uh, no baseball at Trustmark tonight. Run away. Yes. And no word on when that will be made up. I, I was talking about that. You'll hear it on tomorrow's Thunder and Lightning podcast. But I, I don't know if they can make that game up in Pearl. I don't know how that's going to work. If, if they're going to play that game, uh, I almost feel like it would have to be in Starkville or Hattiesburg or one of the two. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that for sure. But State, if they can't, they, State right now is looking to make up two games. They've already lost two games to weather uh, in the early part of the season. For a team trying to get through its young arms and trying to give some guys some opportunities to see what they've got, not not a not a. There's a word for that. I can't think of what it is. I'm sure Rippy might be able to help me out. 
I got three less than ideal. Does that work? <laughs> if it can only be more succinct, I don't know. They could play it at Smith Wills as long as Bellhaven doesn't have a home game. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Be They're selling beer the there, so I'm told. Well, they sell beer at Trustmark, right? Yeah. Surely they do. Yeah. I'm saying you got the alternative and the infrastructure is already in place to enjoy yeah. baseball the way it's meant to be enjoyed. There you go. With a cold one and distracted because the game's boring. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Speaking of baseball last night, there is there something wrong in Arkansas? So they, they get swept this weekend, weren't really competitive doing so, although the competition was great. And then last night, Illinois State comes to Fayetteville and beats Arkansas. Is there something wrong with the Hogs, or is it just kind of what happens sometimes in baseball? Well, you know, Rippy, we were, when we were talking a few weeks ago about the, the way that list of the top 50 pitchers and Arkansas didn't have anybody on it, we sort of, you know, brushed it aside a little bit and thought, ah, they have the offense, they'll be fine. Maybe, maybe we were wrong. Maybe their, their pitching woes are actually a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not nothing, but it is early in the season. It is March. But, yeah, I, I don't think they're playing a very good brand of baseball right now. No Connor Nolan for at least this weekend for Arkansas, too. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's rough for the Hogs. I mean, they're going to have to find some runs. I mean, we keep talking about this. You know, we got no Connor Nolan for them, no JT Ginn for Mississippi State at this time. Still don't. And we talk to Lamonis tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll get an update on, on what's going on there. But that series is next weekend. You know, Mississippi State versus Arkansas here in Starkville. Two teams. The winner of that series will be okay. The loser of that series, I mean, it just feels like it's going to start getting away from them. And you could be without. I mean, two of the marquee pitchers that people are talking about going into the season, you could not see either one of them. Yeah. Kind of a weird night in the SEC last night as far as midweek baseball goes. They usually go that way. Georgia Southern went to Athens and beat the number four team in the country. South Carolina had to go to 12 innings to beat Furman. Texas A&M needed late heroics to beat Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And then Tennessee keeps on plugging, beat Longwood 28-2. to I'm sure that was just riveting to watch. They would have beaten Shortwood a whole lot more. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi on a Wednesday. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can do that. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Speaking of baseball, Major League Baseball is implementing... They're calling them changes to prevent uh, any electronic sign stealing in the future. Is it enough? I know the commissioner recently met with a few players to let them uh, basically have a festivus and air their grievances with the league to him, and he was getting credit for that. But the, the immediate changes to stop the electronic sign stealing, is it enough? Will it actually accomplish the goal and stop this from happening again? We'll give you the details on all of that coming up. Uh, here in just a little bit. Is baseball doing enough to stop it? Also coming up on the show, uh, the NCAA tournament selection show. Usually pretty good. A couple years ago, they tried to do this thing where they released a part of the bracket and then talked about it for 45 minutes and then do another one. People got really mad. That's not happening anymore. But viral audio yesterday... Uh, showed us how exactly the NIT selection show should go. So we'll play that for you as well coming up. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Over there. 
Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Riffey with you. According to Sports Illustrated, Major League Baseball has proposed a change to prevent electronic sign stealing moving forward. And it is not take the trash cans out of the dugouts. Major League Baseball apparently is looking to crack down on cheating. Wow, that's that's good. Uh, that's the right direction. According to Tom Verducci, the league is working with the Players Association on a variety of new protocols to prevent those future incidents, including access to the dugout and clubhouse during games will be limited to players, seven coaches, and necessary interpreters and trainers. Front office members would be banned from clubhouses during games. Is that enough? No, but it's a good start. It's a good start. Yeah, I mean, it would have helped prevent... Actually, I'm not even sure if it would have helped prevent this thing, but, I mean, any measure is probably a decent start. I'm just not sure how often they are in the clubhouse during games. Right. Isn't the easiest answer to have basically a babysitter? To have somebody... Somebody from MLB in the clubhouse at all times? Yep, it's not like they couldn't afford it. That's a weird dynamic for a 162-game season at a clubhouse, though. Yeah, because at some point... They become friends with the players, and it, it just that, that I don't know that would work. Just have them be part of the officiating crew, and so that they don't. They're like you don't have a guy that lives in Milwaukee that always does Brewers games. You just you have a bunch of so you're uh, adding a fifth umpire, basically. Yeah. Okay, I see where you're going. Yeah, have them be part of the the uh, officiating air quotes the umpire crew, and so have them have sit in there. Home first, second, third, and home dugout. Yeah. That sounds good. I mean, you probably have to put them in both, but yeah. We got to remember on the road, does, does the, the 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 other team shouldn't have the same that would they wouldn't have uh, the same access, right? Well, the Astros did. Yeah, it's pretty I, I much the same thing on both sides. Okay, well then, yeah, I guess you need home and visitor dugout then. So six umpires per crew. I mean, that's something you do in the playoffs. You know, you don't have the outfield umpires. So I mean, they obviously have the guys. You would think. Just give them a babysitter. I I, I just. That seems like the most obvious solution because in every other sport, officials are right there. Baseball is the only one where you can, I mean, you can say whatever, do whatever, and they they won't even can't even hear you. They're not there to hear it. In the NBA, the officials are right in front of the coaches. In the NFL, the officials are on the sidelines, right in front of the coaches. In baseball, like you've got to get out of the dugout and scream at the guy and hope he's got good enough hearing to actually hear what you're saying. You could get away with, and there's only so much you can do to cheat the game, but every other sport, the officials are right there. You know, they can hear you. They're amongst it for the most part. Baseball, I mean, you've got an umpire that's out on the field far away from you, and you may only have one guy from your team on the field that he's on. It's just... It's a different dynamic, obviously, because the sport's different, but that seems to me like the easiest solution to the problem. Expand your umpire crews, put two guys in the dugouts that are just there to observe anything abnormal. And usually, one almost 100% of the time, their existence won't be felt and they won't do anything. So what's the harm? Uh, it feels like there's no harm, but at the same time... I don't know. Maybe I'm just being old again. 
You know, it's just me not trying to wrap my head around new ideas. It gets difficult for me from time to time. In the dugout or the clubhouse? Because they're two different, like, not the same. I guess the dugout. I, I mean, I, that's where it would have to be. Chris in Boonville says, I thought Borky wanted less human factors ump-wise, not more. This is a very, very different thing. They're not making calls in the game. Basically, they just have to sit there. Sit there and hear for signals going to the batter. That's what they do. Yeah. Making sure nobody's looking at that video machine that's not supposed to be looking at it. Yeah. You know? No, this is very different than the my very open desire to have robot ums. I think that that's great for baseball. Eliminate the human element from impacting the outcome of the game via bad call. Not making sure that, uh, you know, the... People are cheating, basically. That's what it comes down to. I, I only want the human element removed to eliminate bad calls. You know what I mean? I, I don't mind having umpires and officials and stuff, but give me more options to eliminate a bad call having a direct impact of the game, I guess is what I'm trying to say, Chris. I, I probably didn't start that very well, but I think you... Uh, I think I got to my point eventually, so hope that made uh, hope that made sense to you. I get, I get what you're saying. It's it's yeah. If you can eliminate human error, great. This isn't a human error. Actually, you're sort of right. The only way to eliminate human error sometimes is with another human. Very Pretty much. Thought. Yeah. Very deep thought. Either that, or you could put a Terminator in there and you know just go from there. But Some the, sort of cyborg assassin. What are you doing? I'll be back. Uh, glad uh, glad you are with us, Chris. Uh, thank you, of course. For tuning in, and uh, always, always good to hear from you guys. Uh, Tim and Corn says, "Have a ref in the upper booth like the NFL." I'm sure they could do that, but the signals can be so subtle that a guy maybe up in the booth couldn't hear it. You've got to have someone on the ground right there to hear it. And I, I don't think that anybody's going to do the trash can banging thing anymore because every person in the stadium is going to be listening for rhythmic sounds before a guy takes a swing. You can't do that anymore. No. If the first time that happens, the the crowd will go insane. <laughs> and then yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be some uh there'll be a lot going on at that point. Hey, we do get a text that says uh, it's a shame that Major League Baseball has gotten to the point where they need babysitters. They basically admitted they need needed babysitters in an indirect way though. When they, when their justification for not punishing the players was they didn't get a memo explicitly saying that this was wrong, that's them admitting they needed babysitters. Because if a bunch of adult men didn't know that that was breaking the rules, then they need to be babysat. I think that reason was a cover-up for them not wanting to deal with the Players Association. I agree. From the 601, sign stealing and bad calls are as old as the game itself. I was not aware that in the late 1800s they had closed-circuited television feeds. <sighs> they, they, it was all done by telegraph back then. <laughs> beep, 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 exactly. People still sign. Slider. They use technology to do it. I don't see how that's that. Like People keep getting that lost. Yeah. Uh, Sid says, let's just put robots on the field as players. 
Well, then you definitely have some signs. People be hacking those players. You know? <laughs> Instead of using a closed-circuited TV feed, you'd hire some 20-year-old hacker who lives in mom and dad's basement to get your play, to hack your opponent and get them to swing and miss at pitches. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So my son is four months old. Before he goes... If he reaches old age, which I hope he does, before he goes, there will be like football games played only by robots. Like that will happen. You might be right. Because you've got that company where are they based in San Francisco that's getting that their robot to like do parkour and skateboard and kick soccer balls and stuff. It's like they never watch Black Mirror or the Terminator series or any of that stuff. They just keep doing this and we're all going to die. Yeah. Or uh, iRobot. Where they just yeah. get too smart for our own good. Exactly. Paul and Hernando's with me. Let technology call balls and strikes. Put home plate up in the dugout. No, you've got to keep him behind home plate for uh, if the batter went around, uh, plays at the plate, stuff like that, to keep the game flow going. But, yeah, I, that's uh, that that is very much aligned with my thinking. Is I know umpiring and stuff that's all part of the game and and baseball is a beautiful game to a lot of people and I I really I do like baseball I rag on it just for fun I enjoy baseball I don't enjoy when a non-player directly impacts the outcome of the game in a perfect world and the world's not perfect only the players on both teams would determine the outcome of a game but in baseball, and you get these umpires who not are not only are not good at calling balls and strikes, but if a player does something that they view as showing them up, they'll call that player differently. Rippy, you may remember this. When Ole Miss went to Tulane, was it last year or two years ago? And Thomas yeah. Dillard showed that he didn't like a strike call. For the rest of the game, he was called differently than every other player, and it was blatantly obvious. That crap does not belong in sports. Yeah, I think that was last year, if I'm not mistaken. But do you remember that specific game that night when that happened? Yeah, vaguely, not a ton, but I know, I know what you're talking about. I just that was a basketball weekend here, and I think Tulane had like streaming issues, something. I don't know. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, that just that can't happen. I can't stand that in sports. I wish it would go. So that's why my robot idea comes to fruition. And of course, the sky judge in the NFL thanks to uh, a bad call in the 2018 NFC Championship game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.